Dear fintech people, welcome back to another episode of The Future Of here at Nordic Fintech Magazine. We often bring you perspectives directly from the field as we speak to the visionaries and entrepreneurs that are reimagining financial services. But today, we have a slightly different angle and we're super excited to bring you a fantastic interview with Alexi Grimm, Head of Fintech and Principal Advisor at the Bank of Finland. As a central banker, Alexi has a very interesting view of how fintech is developing in Finland and the driving factors that are contributing to the explosion of innovation we are seeing all over the Nordic region. Alexi has also been personally involved in the assessment activities that the European Central Bank has taken to evaluate the possibility of having a central bank digital currency, also known as a digital euro. So if you're confused about what a CBDC is, what makes it different from the digital money sitting today in your bank account, and whether a European CBDC could replace cash or even those cryptocurrencies you've been playing with in your digital wallet, then you've got to listen to what Alexi has to say. Alexi, thank you so much for taking time to speak to us. Uh, we really appreciate you uh, carving time in your busy schedule to, to have a chat with us. Um, so let's just start. Just please tell us who you are and what do you do? Yeah, so it's a pleasure to be here. Um, my name is Alexi Grimm. I'm head of fintech at the Bank of Finland. Uh, so that's the central bank of Finland, part of the euro system. Um, so we have a small team in the in the bank, uh, which looks at you know fintech, uh, basically uh, mostly focusing on payment systems, um, uh, developments in the in the markets, uh, both in banking, but but maybe a bit more in, pay, uh, in payments and all the securities markets. So sort of fintech quite broadly. Um, so there's there's four people. Uh, in the team, I'm leading that team, and we've been doing this for about five years now. So engaging with with fintech companies, but also doing our own own research, um, yeah, and really trying to understand the um, the the industry, how the fintech industry is developing, and what sort of impact it could have on on central banks. Uh, that's really my my main job. Well, that's uh, it's just just wonderful that, that we're able to have a central banker's perspective uh, on on what's happening. So uh, I'm sure it's going to be a, quite an insightful conversation. So let's just start by just say I want to say that there's been an uh, an explosion of innovation in fintech, uh, and that's across the Nordic countries. So in your perspective, what do you think is a driver behind this, specifically to the Nordics? Yeah, that's a good question. I think. I mean, there's two two things that stand out, I think, in the Nordics. Um, so there's a vibrant tech scene in general, I, I would say. I mean, there's already been for decades um, really, really great software companies and uh, and a sort of really nice atmosphere for, for tech-oriented uh, new businesses, entrepreneurship. Uh, it's a really good environment to set up a new company so that whole sort of entrepreneurship and and tech scene has been there for a long time and in addition to that the nordics actually also have a very strong financial sector so very strong old established banks um, they're quite advanced in terms of digital transformation we've had you know mobile banking and online banking for for a long time um, the identity uh, um, infrastructure that's that's underpinning that is is very strong 
so it's a, it's a sort of very natural development that if you have a strong banking sector and you have a, a really nice tech scene that these two come together and, and yeah, a lot of fintech companies come out of that. Right. Um, and for a number of years, we have seen varying central bank attitudes towards digitalization and disruption of, of, the, of the industry. I think in some cases we've seen that regulators became more stringent, seeking to sort of preserve the guardrails that enable the proper functioning and trust that, that is placed in the financial system. But also in other cases we saw that um, there was a more disruption-friendly attitude from, from central banks where they were, were even willing to make cer certain provisions to the regulations to allow for more innovation within the system. Can you tell us what has been Finland's position and and why? Yeah, so I guess I guess Finland's position is is similar to many other um, European countries in this respect. I mean, it's it's finding the balance. Um, so so financial the financial industry is one of those industries that that is highly regulated and it needs to be highly regulated because there are some inherent risks that need to be managed. So, so from a central bank and from a regulator, regulator point of view, it's about finding a balance of being sort of very market-oriented. We, we do understand at the same time, I think most central banks uh, acknowledge and you know, are um, uh, kind of endorsing market competition. So we, we want to have a competitive market. We know that that's where innovation comes from. That's where new consumer products are being developed. At the same time, it's an industry that requires a certain degree of regulation. So it's it's finding that kind of balance between those two. And I think Finland is, is very similar um, in, in kind of trying to find that balance where we create an environment that is that is conducive to, to good business, but uh, at the same time, let the business then um, kind of uh, innovate on its own. Yeah, makes perfect sense. Um, We've also seen uh, a number of uh, very fast-growing fintechs coming out of Finland. They come to mind uh, Infuse and AlphaSense. Um, so what, in your opinion, has been the role of the Central Bank of Finland in enabling these type of companies to scale up in the way that they have? Yeah, there have been some really, really nice fintech companies um, coming out. I, I mean, as a central bank, we don't want to take any credit of their success. To be honest, I think they've worked really hard to earn uh, where they got to, and and that's that's really great. Um, so as I mentioned, for us, it's really about trying to create that environment, um, uh, help with uh, with any sort of information and knowledge sharing that we can we can do advising. So one thing that we've done, for example, with smaller companies is that they don't know the industry very well. They don't know who the players are, what the rules are. Uh, and kind of how to navigate in that whole industry. We we just kind of explain it to them. We we um, give them an overview of the financial industry and so what sort of things you need to keep in mind. But apart from that, it's it's really then up to the entrepreneurs and the companies themselves. And uh, and we keep engaging with with companies all the time because we also want to learn from them. So it, I think knowledge sharing is probably the the the, the most important thing that we can do uh, with with startups. Right. Um, all right, let's let's shift gears a little bit, and now I'd like to talk about one of the projects that you've been uh, involved in, which is the assessment of the digital euro. Yeah. Um, can you please tell us why do we need a, dig a digital euro, and how will it be different to the euros that we all carry in our pockets or in our digital wallets today? Um, so, can I tell you why we need a digital euro? Yeah. No, I can't tell you because we don't necessarily need a digital euro. I don't know if we actually need digital euro. Uh, so that's a, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a really good question. 
mm-hmm. but unfortunately, I don't have an answer to that. So, okay. so it is interesting. Um, so what the what the euro system is doing now is basically designing a digital euro, but we don't really we're not really saying we necessarily need it. But what we're doing is designing what what it what would it look like in the euro area. So if if we ever need it, then this is what it would look like. This is this is how we would do it. So, but but of course, it starts with some premises, with with certain assumptions that it might be needed in the future. It's probably not needed today, but it might be needed in the future. And there's a few different scenarios where um, it, it could be that it's a, it's a good idea to introduce it. And to in my mind, probably the most important one is the is resilience, kind of having one alternative infrastructure, one alternative retail payment system in addition to the ones that are already there. So it, it, it's useful in the sense of, um, you know, if you think about cybersecurity and this kind of being as a sort of backup arrangement, that's maybe more from the regular po- regulator point of view. But then from the consumer point of view, it's also about just simply having the choice, uh, the choice of one more alternative uh, to making payments. And this also has to, of course, do, to do with the fact that, you know, Cash is being loose, used less and less, especially in the Nordics, but also throughout Europe. We're still not quite there. I mean, cash is still pretty important as a, as a payment instrument, but in the future it might be less important. Um, so in, in that kind of situation, it's good to have many different ways to pay uh, also online. And uh, and uh, I guess the central bank wants to offer one more alternative, which would be in, uh, in the hands of the, the public sector, essentially. I think that's, that's really the thinking behind it. Right. And... and- I think when most people hear about this idea of a central bank digital currency, especially in the Nordics where where a lot of the transactions are already digital, they probably think, well, sure, but what's the difference with with the ones and zeros that we use today? Could, could you perhaps clarify what would be different from a from a between what, uh, between what we have today and a potential uh, central bank digital euro? Well, if we look at from a, from the consumer perspective, from so the the ordinary user, um, there might not be much difference, to be honest. So mm-hmm. it would probably be some sort of mobile app. There might be a card that you can use at the point of sale like when you go shopping or something. So from a sort of usability or from a practical point of view, there probably wouldn't be much difference. It would be just one more alternative, one one more you know choice to have. So technically, um, it would utilize the, pretty much the same uh, techniques and technologies that the, the payment solutions that are out there today would be using. The, the main difference would be that it would be a public sector provided solution. So you wouldn't have to, as a consumer, you wouldn't need to have uh, anything, you wouldn't need to a- enter into a contractual relationship with a commercial provider of any kind. I that, that's the main difference. And this might be preferable to some citizens. Maybe not everyone, but there might be um, citizens who think that they don't want to uh, deal with any commercial entity, any commercial company. They just want to have a sort of public, uh, the same solution provided by the public, by a public institution, uh, by the state, essentially. Um, so it would be that, that, that option to have. Right. And so... In, in the context of digital currencies, could you explain to us what would be the difference between a central bank digital currency or a central bank digital euro uh, and and the other cryptocurrencies that we see popping up all over the place? 
Yeah, well, I don't see much in common actually with cryptocurrencies and, and CBDCs. Um, so cryptocurrencies, I mean, they're growing. They are a business sector of its own, I think. Um, but if you think about how are cryptocurrencies used, at least today, um, there's not much similarity with um, official currencies. So official currencies is is uh, what you use to make payments when you when you go shopping or your salaries are paid using them and and so on and the prices are denoted in them. But cryptocurrency is more like a consumer product in my mind. It's something you buy. It's not what you buy with. If you think about it that way, so an, an official currency is what you use to to buy other things with. But a cryptocurrency to me is a consumer product. It's something that. Um, you know, has a market of its own. It's some. It's kind of like a hobby for people, um, but but not a not a really a, a payment instrument in itself. You can't. You could technically use it for for that, but people just. I don't think they do it. I think they they more they see it more as a sort of, an I don't know, entertainment or consumer product in that sense. Right. So so based based on that, then I guess it would be safe to say that uh, in the future it's we're quite likely to have both types of digital currencies in operation one that is state issued and then these cryptocurrencies that people use either as an investment uh, asset or in some cases as a payment mechanism but mostly as a as a hobby type of uh, of investment yeah i would say that's that's probably uh, that's my guess at least is that you know it's a separate category in a way um, we, we use the word cryptocurrency but I think that's just the name for it, but but if you look at it more closely, it's kind of a very separate category from from any of the official currencies. Right. Um, okay. So then, I'd like to talk a little bit about the concerns uh, around CBDCs, uh, and presumably these are some of the ones that have already been brought into the discussion of a potential digital euro. Um, we've we've heard that. A, a CBDC could potentially replace the the money distribution function that many commercial banks hold today. Um, would you say that those concerns are well founded? I think the I think the concern is is well founded. Yes, um, but it's not something that central banks want. It's not something that we would allow to happen. Um, but 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 it's a genuine question. So if that is something that could happen, then we should probably try to do the digital euro differently or maybe not do it at all. So that's one of the risks that we want to avoid. So we don't we really don't want to take any business from commercial banks. We don't want to change the structure of how the monetary system works. Um, so if that if that is if it looks like that could happen, then then it's probably best to do it differently or not do it at all. Right. Right. Um, and, and what would you say to, to skeptics that think that digitizing our economies through central bank digital currencies or digital currencies would be giving away the privacy that is so far been enabled through the use of cash? Well, it is true that, I mean, cash has some unique properties in, 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 the, in the sense of privacy. For me, it's very difficult to see any digital solution or product uh, having the same degree of privacy that cash has. Um, with CBDC, I think many central banks are taking this question into account in the sense that CBDC could be uh, a similar payment solution as other solutions, but it would 
maybe enable more privacy because that's what people are used to with cash. So they're thinking that if the if people are now used to using something that the central banks provide uh, because it gives them privacy, then maybe we should also give them that um, opportunity with CBDC. Um, I think technically that will be very difficult. So, I, you know, whenever you put anything online, whenever ever anything is digitized, there's some sort of trail that is left behind. Data yeah. gets recorded somewhere. So I, I, I don't think we can ever get to the point where we have something as anonymous or as private in the digital world as we have with cash today. In that sense, I don't think cash is going away. I think it, it, it will have its position. It will it will maintain its role in that sense, because I think we, we can never achieve the same um, with any any digital solution. And so in that sense, I think there's always be a place for cash also. Right. So then potentially the, the future could, could be a mix of people that want the convenience of a digital currency could choose to use uh, a, a, a digital euro for some transactions. But at the same time, they could still choose to use cash for other transactions where they want the privacy uh, that, that it enables. Yeah, privacy or how easy it is to use. Um, something that we've also learned from surveys is that it's a really good learning tool. It's a good way to learn about financial services and, and sort of keeping your financials in order. So for, for younger, uh, for children, for example, it's much more intuitive to use cash. But it's a good way to kind of get started with the financial um, uh, financial services. And then, yeah, and then having many different options beyond that in the digital world. I think that's probably um, an ideal sort of spectrum of, of, of choices. Right. And one of the things that at least has been written a lot about is how the potential use of CBDCs could enable financial inclusion. Um, could you, could you explain to us a little bit more how that how a CBDC could potentially enable financial inclusion of unbanked individuals? Yeah, so, I mean, countries differ in this respect. And for some countries, uh, CBDC, as you mentioned, uh, could be a really good solution for um, so improving financial inclusion. Of course, in, you know, in the Nordics, everyone has a bank account. It's really easy to get um, financial services. So for us, that's maybe not the most important um, idea of, of CBDC, but in, in many other countries, um, you know, a large part of the population don't have bank accounts and they don't have access to financial services or, or, or cheap or in, inexpensive banking services. So CBDC could be uh, a sort of basic option or a basic banking service or a basic payment service, which would be low cost and available, maybe easier available to, to a wider audience. So it could help with financial inclusion if if it's designed that way, and I think it could be designed that way. Okay, so so then um, uh, in in our conversation so far, you you mentioned a couple of times that it depends on the design features that the different central banks decide to put onto the CBDC. Um, the question I have is that it, it's it's sometimes difficult not to compare any any initiatives of CBDCs with the digital yuan, which is the the first sort of central bank digital currency that has been put into uh, it has been injected into into a large-scale economy um, if if there was to be a digital euro would would that differ significantly from the digital yuan well um, 
I mean, every CBDC would look a little bit different in every country or every you know region where it's where it's designed. Every CBDC is designed for that region with that region in mind. Uh, so there were, probably would be some some differences. Um, that said, I think the the environment and the situation in China is to some extent very similar to to Europe in the sense that there's quite good access to, for example, um, mobile networks, mobile phones. So we have the devices, we have quite a good digitized high-tech economy, at least in you know, in China, at least in the cities. Um, and I, I guess there are also differences in, in, in Europe, but we sort of more or less are sort of quite highly digitized and we have good access to devices, pretty good networks, mobile networks. Um, so it's quite natural that maybe the solution would also look quite similar. Um, and of course, in China, they've already used digital payments for a long time. And I think digital yuan is also, I guess, also the same idea is to, to have one more option instead of you know, the two large uh, payment solution providers in China, you would have a third option, which would be a state provided option. So there are definitely similarities in thinking uh, in, in Europe, between Europe and China in that sense. But, but then there are also small differences and we haven't really, we don't have a design yet for the digital euros, but I, I'm sure there would be also some minor differences then in the end. Right, right. Um, now, um, I, I came across a paper that you wrote uh, discussing the Avant smart card system that was created by the Bank of Finland in the, in the 1990s. Um, and and you, you talk about it as a, as a precursor to CBDCs. So my question is, what lessons can we can we draw from Finland's experience using the, the Avant card system? Yeah, so I mean, that was an interesting case. Um, so I don't remember the Avant card uh, myself, but I, I we had some archives, um, you know, there was a lot of material at the Bank of Finland because the Bank of Finland was uh, the one that developed that, that product. And it, it, yeah, it was an e-money product. You could call it an e-money product. And in a way, it was a CBDC because it was developed by the central bank and it was issued by the central bank. Um, so if it's an e-money product and it's issued by a central bank, then I guess that qualifies as a CBDC. And there definitely were some some lessons to be learned because it it uh, it didn't become that successful. And of course, now we want to, you know, it's natural to ask the question, why didn't it become successful? Uh, so there are a few different hypotheses for that. So one is that it was a sort of pre-funded uh, e-money product. So you always had to kind of pre-fund the card. So you had to go, for example, to an ATM withdraw money from your bank account and put it on the card and then you could pay with that card right. and this kind of pre-funded model is a little bit uh, cumbersome it's a little bit awkward to use mm -hmm. uh, and there are similar solutions on the market still today where you have to kind of pre-fund an e-money account and then you can use that for payments and it also raises the question why would you go through that trouble of always pre-funding that, that account there are things like auto top up and, and you know to make it a little bit easier. But I think we should keep that question in mind also now when we're designing CBDCs is that do people really want these kinds of pre-funded products? Or would it just make more sense to have a product that connects directly to your bank account? Um, so that, that is one question to keep in mind. Um, the other one is uh, the, the questions about, for example, privacy. 
also back then, uh, privacy was considered a sort of strong point of, of, of the avant-garde. It was considered a competitive advantage that is, it, it gives you more privacy. You don't have to uh, engage with any commercial entities, kind of the similar discussion that we're having today. It turns out that it really wasn't that important to people. So in the end, people, I guess we're seeing that also with, you know, to some extent today with, with all these different platforms and social media and, and so on. People are people are often vocal about privacy, but in the end, they don't necessarily um, you know, care that much in the end, at least many people. I mean, not everyone really is ready to you know, put their money where their mouth is in, in, when it comes to privacy. And it could turn out the same thing with, with CBDC. I think at least with the Avant, uh, that aspect was never really that important. In the end, it becomes down to convenience, ease of use and cost. I mean, those are those are really important drivers for what, what choices people make. And, you know, I think that's a good lesson to keep in mind. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I think most of us, just, we never really read the terms and conditions and we're very quick to click accept whenever we want to join these platforms and not really knowing what our data is going to be used for. And uh, for most of us, you know, that concern really is not is not there as long as we're getting something in return. In this case, it could be the service or the convenience that that the platform or or a digital currency could could offer, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, all right, Alex. And then uh, just uh, one last question: um, Do you see any new opportunities arising in the financial sector, specifically for fintech, uh, if there were to be a, a CBDC um, uh, introduced into the European market? Well. The CBDCs that are now being designed for um, in in Europe. Let's talk about the, the digital euro, but also also some other projects. Uh, I think all of them have the idea that they would be quite open, uh, and they would uh, they would allow a lot of interaction with you know, private companies, uh, startups, and so on, fintech companies, to engage with that infrastructure. So to, to kind of add more services that utilize CBDCs in, in, in some way. Uh, so there would be probably some sort of APIs and, and, and so on, so that other applications can also also connect to, connect to CBDC. And the kinds of services that might be relevant for that is that, you know, think about CBDC as a sort of very basic payment account that, that is available to every, every citizen. Uh, so you could, you could, you know, all, all kinds of uh, services that that need sort of a very very basic uh, payment mechanism, CBDCs could could provide that service um, technically sort of quite easily. So sort of other other services can connect to that. So that that's maybe one thing. Um, the other thing that's sometimes being uh, is being discussed is using CBDCs for uh, something like security trading or uh, kind of more in the in the wholesale market, uh, maybe uh, something like that. I'm not sure if um, if that is the more. I, I think that that is to me the a bit more remote scenario, uh, mm. in the sense that it it requires so much more regulation. There's so it, it's a little bit more complex and and difficult. So so for me, the best opportunities probably come with the simpler use cases uh, and the one that are more uh, retail payment related. Uh, so I think that there might be some opportunities on that side. Right. Right. 
Okay, well, um, Alexi, thank you so much for, for sharing your insights. I think it's, it's great to hear this from someone who's directly involved in the assessment project for, for a potential uh, digital euro. So uh, really, really, uh, really great hearing it directly from the horse's mouth. So we, we thank you for your time and for, and for sharing your insights with us. Yeah, thanks a lot. It's been a, it's been a pleasure. Thanks. And, uh, and of course, uh, you're also going to be participating in the Nordic Fintech Week in September. So we look forward to seeing you there live in Copenhagen. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll see you there. Thank you very much, Alexi. Thanks a lot.